Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 102, In Christ. Today I interview Emilio Ramos to discuss the theology of evangelism as he explains in a new book that he's uh, published, and we'll get to that uh, during the course of the interview. But before we move into the interview, I did want to talk to you just a little bit about a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is I wanted to remind those of you listening, I know this is kind of last minute, but I did mention this I think in previous recent episodes. I'm going to be in Orange County, California uh, tomorrow, <laughs> that's September 28th, the Friday. Uh, to see a new documentary that's come out called Hellbound. I'm going to be uh, watching the movie with a few other folks from the RethinkingHell.com team. Uh, and if you're at all interested, if, if you happen to live in that area, if you're, hap- if you're interested in seeing the movie, if you're interested in meeting some of us at RethinkingHell.com, uh, shoot me an email at Chris at TheApologetics.com and uh, maybe we can, uh, you know, maybe I can give you some of those details. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking to the movie as much, looking forward to the movie as much as I am looking forward to uh, meeting some friends of mine that, uh, uh, that I haven't met in person, but I've spent time on Skype and, um, and you know, we, we blog together at RethinkingHell.com and stuff like that. So, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting them, uh, and uh, while we're down there, my wife and I will enjoy some time at Disneyland, and uh, we're gonna we're excited to see a Jason Mraz concert, which should be pretty exciting as well. Um, so anyway, if I happen to meet any of you down there, that'll be great. I'll look forward to it. The other thing that I wanted to say, and uh, is sort of a two part deal. One is I need a a prayer. I have a prayer request for you guys, and. Um, and then the other thing is I need to explain why it is that uh, for the next couple of months you'll probably see a, a smaller output, a smaller volume of output in the blog and in the podcast uh, here at The Apologetics. Um, I, uh, as, as some of you may recall, I have a secular career. It's a full-time career. Um, and uh, for some time now I've been able to maintain a healthy work-life balance that's kept me successful at work and at the same time has allowed me to output um, the, the you know the, uh, an episode every week or two uh, at the apologetics but uh, unfortunately my workload has drastically increased and I'm um, having to put in extra hours I, I don't have the time to be able to uh, to put out as many episodes as I would like um, so I, I'm asking for your prayers that uh, that God would help me to uh, to find a good, healthy work-life balance so that I'm not working extra hours, uh, so that I can continue to be successful without sacrificing time with my family, and also so that I can continue uh, to to do uh, to put out episodes of the The Apologetics podcast on a on a, on a uh, at a healthy frequency. Uh, but but then also. What it, what this will mean is that at least for a while um, you won't see as many episodes uh, or you won't see episodes as frequently. I do have a three part interview with uh, Philip Payne, the egalitarian author of Man and Woman, One in Christ. He he, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago to respond to Dr. Hamilton's recent appearance, and I'll be airing that interview over three parts over the next several weeks. Um, after that, I don't have any episodes recorded though, and I'm not sure when I'll get around to doing it. So if you're somebody who um, 
you know, could, could take this podcast or leave it. You probably won't be affected by the slowdown. Uh, but if you're somebody who really enjoys the show, uh, I apologize and would just ask that you keep me in your prayers until, um, until I can find a good balance in between work and life and the podcast. So anyway, uh, just thought I'd share a little bit of my heart uh, with you. Um, the next promo in the rotation, we'll jump right into that. The next promo in the rotation is Evidence for Faith. Can anyone really know whether or not God exists? Is the Bible really true? Is Jesus the Son of God? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis, and we are the hosts of Evidence for Faith, the radio show now airing on Sundays from 4 to 5 p.m. at 10.20 a.m. Lots of people believe in God, but they don't think it's possible to know for certain that He really does exist. They believe because they think they ought to. Join us and our interesting guests as we explain the evidences so that you can know for certain that God exists, the Bible is a divinely inspired book, and that Jesus is the Son of God and was raised from the dead. So whether you're seeking answers for yourself or helping others who have doubts, Evidence for Faith will provide the encouragement and assurance you need. That's Evidence for Faith every Sunday from 4 to 5 p.m. where we are helping Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. And check us out online at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. I've enjoyed the episodes of Evidence for Faith that I've listened to. I've, I've been spending a lot of time reading my Kindle, so I haven't been listening to most of my shows lately. Uh, but I would encourage you to at least check it out. Um, you can listen on the air, on the radio, Sundays from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WIBG 1020 AM in southern New Jersey. Oh, and it streams live at WIBG.com, and you can find past shows available via the podcast, uh, and you can also find it in the iTunes store. And I'll include links in the show notes uh, to where you can find that. Uh, so I guess that's it. And with that, we'll go ahead and we'll move into today's interview with Emilio Ramos. I'm joined today by Emilio Ramos, preaching pastor of Heritage Grace Community Church in Frisco, Texas. Pastor Ramos joins me today to discuss the theology of conversion and its importance in evangelism and his recent book, which details it all. Thanks so much for joining me, Pastor Ramos. Well, it's good to be with you. I'd like to begin with your testimony, if that's okay, because it has a particular relevance to the topic of your book and the discussion today, since you yourself were converted to Christ. Can you tell us about that and how it transformed your life? Well, sure. Um, well, I, you know, I was raised in a non-religious home. Um, my my father was uh, not religious. My mother was uh, confused about religion, and I essentially had a, a basically a non-religious upbringing. But uh, at the age of nineteen, I was I was uh, converted. I became a Christian at nineteen years old, and uh, up until that point, I had lived. Um, a pretty, a pretty rebellious and reckless life, um, a life of um, just uh, running uh, in the streets and uh, a life of drugs and gangs and um, uh, just uh, really running away from God as, as quick as possible. At 19 years old, God opened my eyes uh, to the reality that uh, I was, I was a sinner and that I was indeed uh, on my way to, to judgment and hell. And um, the, just the weight of that and the reality of that brought me to my knees and, and caused me to repent. 
and uh, since then, the Lord has graciously um, given me a, a new life, new hope. Scripture says we become new creatures in Christ, and so that's exactly what I became. And everything changed for me, and by the grace of God, subsequent to my conversion, uh, God uh, graciously saved uh, several people uh, in my family, including my mom and uh, my sister. And uh, so it, it is, like you said, it, it is a testimony as to how God can take a person out of Adam and put them into Christ, which is what my book is about. But uh, that's essentially, in a nutshell, uh, how I came to faith in Christ. There's a lot more, obviously, I could talk about, but I feel like I'd probably end up talking about it all, you know, for the whole interview. So Sure. No, that's that's great. Uh, now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you preach at Heritage Grace Community Church, which you helped to plant. Can you tell us about Heritage Grace Community and, and why someone might want to visit you if they live near Frisco? Oh, sure. Um, well, yeah, Heritage Grace Community Church, we are a, uh, we are a, a recent um, a church plant uh, that myself and another elder uh, with me, uh, Alan Boley, uh, we planted the church together. And uh, previously to, to Heritage Grace, I was a pastor at a previous church in, in Fort Worth, Texas, where I served there for uh, oh, roughly about five years uh, as a preaching pastor there. And the Lord, just uh, through a series of events, uh, led me to uh, to start looking to plant another church. And, and this is a great church. I'm delighted to be a part of it. Uh, a very uh, sound church, I think, a very biblical church, and very healthy church, a very evangelistic church, a church that really takes the scripture seriously and attempts to really run ministry in a very uh, in a biblical uh, fashion. So I'm very excited to be part of Heritage Grace. Sure, but but preaching at Heritage Grace isn't the only area of ministry in which you're involved. What else occupies your passion and interest? What else besides full time pastoring and preaching are you engaged in? Oh well, um, yeah, I, I really do enjoy uh, doing evangelism a lot, and so we have an evangelistic outreach to uh, in a few different locations. So I'm heavily involved with the evangelism of our church as well. Uh, but also, I enjoy writing, uh, as as you can tell. That's <laughs> why we're having this issue with you. But uh, so I, I enjoy to write, but I also really enjoy uh, doing street evangelism. That's that's. Uh, that that was a passion of mine from the from very early on as a believer uh, to basically go and and to share uh, the gospel with people on the street and uh, we also have a ministry uh, outreach to uh, the University of North Texas here and where uh, we do evangelism among the student body and um, it's great to be able to interact with the students there and at any given any on any given week we could have a a large crowd, up to 100 students, uh, all of them, you know, interacting on uh, on, on biblical issues and the, the biblical worldview. So, yeah, those are the things that, that uh, I really enjoy to do when I'm not, as you said, uh, preaching or, or studying for sermon prep or doing the things in the church. Right. Well, you know, I found out about your book, which we're going to talk about in a moment, when your wife, Trisha emailed me asking if I'd be interested in reviewing it. Uh, as it turns out, you're not the only Ramos engaged in ministry. So if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about your wife, Trisha, and some of her pursuits? Oh, well, sure. My wife is currently uh, working for Wretched uh, Radio with Todd Friel. Uh, I don't know if uh, your listeners are probably uh, familiar with 
with Todd Frail and his ministry. I'm sure many of them are. Mm. Uh, but my wife also, for many years, uh, served in the ministry and worked uh, w- under, with Living Waters, uh, ministry with Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. Um, and my wife is a very evangelistic and, and passionate woman of God, and um, the Lord has really blessed her with tremendous uh, gifts, and um, I know the Lord is really using her. Uh, yeah. But yes, she's currently working with Wretched Radio, and uh, she facilitates what's called the biggest project. That's uh, at least part of what she does there, and that's uh, that's an evangelistic DVD that Todd Friel, Kirk Cameron, and R.W. Glenn uh, have put together. And uh, it's a great DVD. We get to hand it out to various campuses throughout the United States at different functions. Uh, the goal is to hand out as many of these uh, evangelistic uh, DVDs as possible. It's a really great ministry. Yeah. Well, now, before we start talking about the book we're going to be talking about today, I, I do want to ask you about one more thing. In the bio that Trisha sent me, uh, there's this sort of teaser about a future project that you're working on. In the bio, it calls it a new surprise book in the works. Can you tell us anything about that? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know the exact uh, the exact one she was t- referring to when she said that. You know, there are many things that I write on, and uh, uh, to be quite honest, I have, I have a number of projects that that I'm interested in pursuing. I don't know which project <laughs> will end up being. <laughs> I don't know which project will end up, you know, uh, being the, the the primary focus as far as publishing goes. But there are several things, you know, that 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 really interest me, and uh, I, I guess we'll just have to wait and right. see what, what what the Lord does. Okay. Well, then let's begin talking about the book that you have already published, uh, and it probably hasn't escaped the notice of my attentive listeners that, unlike other interviews I've done, I didn't mention the title of your book when I introduced you, and that's because I wanted to let you pronounce it for us. So, <laughs> so explain for us the correct way to pronounce the title. Sure. Well, the word is convert. From Adam to Christ, and uh, someone can pick up the title and, and pronounce it "convert" mm. uh, like a noun, but it's actually "convert" as in a verb, as in it is God's job to convert the soul, mm. or a person needs to convert to Christ. And uh, I, I, I use the the verb form because that's really what the book is all about. It's not talking about a convert per se. But about the phenomenon of conversion. Right. Well, and there are no doubt thousands of books on conversion, on evangelism. So why did you write Convert, and what makes it different from other books on evangelism? That's a great question. Um, you know, I wrote the book because I was, um, I was really fascinated with what I was finding in Scripture, just regarding... Um, the theme of Adam and Christ, and then what it meant to be represented by Adam versus being represented by Christ. And and you're right, in terms of, of several books being written on this subject, they're, they're, they're out there. But as I looked at the various books, different classic books on the subject, um, and especially dealing with sharing the gospel and, and having kind of an evangelistic twist to it, there really was nothing like this in terms of anybody writing on Adam and Christ, or Adam versus Christ. And so I just thought it was a good theme uh, to, to present the, the, the material and, and to really to follow uh, God's uh, plan of redemption, because what I found is that that's the way that God is working in the universe. 
he is working along Adamic and Christic lines. And so you're either in Adam or you're in Christ, and so the book is written to try to explain that. I see. Now, you received some, or your book has received some high praise from Mark Spence, the dean of the Biblical School of Evangelism. He says that everyone who cares about the Bible needs to read Convert. Now, that's quite the glowing endorsement. So, what do you, what do you think led led the dean to say that? Um, well, I, I I don't know that I could speak for him, and you might have to have him on the show. But <laughs> I think I think I, I think one of the reasons he that was a very generous endorsement, by the way, but uh, I think his emphasis was just trying to uh, make it known that, that, yeah, students of the Bible are going to like this book, because the book is saturated in Scripture, and the book is dealing, of course, with one of the most important subjects in the Word of God, Mm. which is the subject of conversion and and the subject of evangelism, which are, you know, as you know, part of the way the Master Ministry is, you know, the heart of the ministry, and so that is the passion that Mark Spence and the others there share. Uh, and so, you know, but I think that's right. Any, anybody who does love the Bible and who is a student of the Word of God, I think they're going to really love this book. They're, they're going to really enjoy it, not because it's a heavy-duty, exegetical, theological book, but because, uh, as simple as it is, it's fundamental. And yeah. that which is fundamental, we don't lay aside for anything. And... It's what's fundamental is something that we all need to get down, and we need to really get uh, into our hearts and into our souls. So just the fundamental aspect of this book, I think, is what uh, is why people that love the Word of God, I think, are going to enjoy this book. Yeah. Well, I definitely enjoyed it, and one of the things that I really liked about it was the ways in which it ties together the theology of conversion with its impact on evangelism. So I'd like to talk about a few of the ways in which your book points that out. Your, your first two chapters talk about, as you've mentioned you know, a couple of times so far, what it means to be in Adam versus in Christ. And you write, quote, how this history between God and man in the garden thousands of years ago affects man today, how this history is important, unquote. So, so can you tell us about that? Why is it important that we understand what took place in the garden and what it means to be in Adam? Yes. Well, what's interesting is that you look at the back of the Bible and you go to Revelation chapter 22, and uh, what you find there is, a, is an Edenic reference, an Edenic reference. You find a reference to the Tree of Life, which I just think is really fascinating that the Bible opens and closes with the reference to the Tree of Life, as it were. Mm. And uh, that got me thinking, you know, God has never lost sight of what took place in the Garden, and He has never stopped working along those lines. Mm. And so, it's fascinating uh, to me how that, uh, what Adam did and how he represented us in the Garden has ramifications for every person on Earth. Right, and so that there, is, so that there are either there are one of two people, only two kinds of people, as it were, in the world. You're either in Adam, and you're in Christ. And if you're in Adam, that means that God uh, imputes to you Adam's sin and his sin nature. That you inherit his corruption, his guilt, his death sentence. And so the the sinner's plight, his dilemma, is to get out of Adam, mm. and. Um, and to get into Christ, and that really is the evangelistic task, to take people out of Adam and to put them into Christ. Yeah. 
Well, and speaking of which, in that second chapter on what it means to be in Christ, you give another example of how our theology can impact our evangelism. You write about what it means to have been redeemed from the slave market of sin and enslaved to another master, and then you point out the usefulness of that idea in evangelism. Can you explain that for us? Well, yeah, I, I think it's 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 really important to to understand that before a person comes to faith in Christ, they are under the dominion of sin. They're they're captive to sin, and sin is their master, and they do sin's bidding. And so, I just think it's uh, it's it's important to emphasize that so that people will understand something of the of the glorious nature of Christ's redemption. And and when He redeems us, He liberates us, He frees us. He takes us out of our bondage and out of the blindness that we're in as unbelievers who have rejected the gospel, have rejected Christ, who, who, who will not come to the cross. So it's by understanding our plight, understanding our sin and our bondage to sin, that we'll really treasure the gospel. Yeah. Let me take that a little further, because you, you, you explain, you give an, uh, an example from your past where you had talked to people that were really entrenched in sinful lifestyles, and, and they talked about how, uh, you know, um, gosh, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, so unbelievers sometimes think that the Christian walk is about, uh, you know, uh, refusing to do all these things that you would otherwise prefer to do, but, but this idea of being redeemed from the slave market of sin and enslaved to another master seems to me suggest, to suggest that being in Christ involves such radical change of heart that it isn't, um, we don't increasingly want to do those kinds of things. Quite the opposite. Increasingly, we want to live out the ways of God. So it's not like a, uh, it, it, it's a good kind of slavery. It's not like we're we're uh, not allowed to do all the things we want to do. No, the things we want to do change. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, that's, ab- that's absolutely right. Um, God gives us a new nature. Uh, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new disposition so that we love to do freely the things that God commands. We love, we delight to do God's will. We, we love to, do, to, to be obedient. And I also have a section in the book that deals really with the nature of our uh, Christian life in Christ and, and our walk in Christ and my discussion on sanctification, that it's not a perfect picture. We are going to sin. We will yeah. fail. Sanctification is not... Um, Overnight. It's not a once and yeah, it's not a once and for all thing. There is an aspect of that definitively, but it is ongoing. It's it's progressive, and so that's that's the process that we're in. We're we're in the process of of becoming more obedient and becoming more conformed into the image of Christ. But yes, that's that's something that the regenerate heart will long and love to do. He will love to do God's will. He will love to obey God's commands. That's why Jesus told the disciples, "If you don't love, if you love me, uh, you obey my obey what what I say." And so, and that is really the mark of a true believer: somebody who delights to do the will of God. Yeah. Well, how about the concept of imputation? You, you write about its importance when it comes to evangelism. Can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, I think imputation is right at the very heart of the gospel. Uh, that is the soul of the gospel message that. We need a righteousness that we don't have. Mm. We need a righteousness that we cannot produce. We need a righteousness that we've never possessed. And the righteousness that we need, of course, is the very righteousness of God in Christ. And so it it is the, the reverse of the curse. It is the reverse of what happened with Adam, whereas in Adam, 
we inherit his guilt, we inherit his nature, we have his sin, as it were, imputed to us, whereas in Christ, we have his righteousness imputed to us and credited to our account. And so then when we do evangelism, we need to really stress that with people to say, look, the righteousness that you need in order to stand before God, you, you don't have. Mm. You don't have it within you. There are not enough good things that you can do. You can't go to church, you know, a, a thousand times and get any closer to God without the righteousness of Christ and without imputation. It's not just about doing Christian things and learning Christian language, but it's about having your sin forgiven and taking upon a righteousness that is not yours, that only comes through faith in Christ. Imputation magnifies the necessity for faith. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> this this is something that that I think as men or as human beings we're most um uh we most object to we want to be uh we want to 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 believe that we have earned something accomplished something on our own and it's interesting to me and and maybe you could tell me if you agree with this that as far as I can tell the only uh world view on the planet in which uh which so goes contrary to our desire to earn it on our own, you know, to to uh, to, to save ourselves by our own accord, uh, is in fact the gospel, the, the Christian faith. Would you agree? Oh, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. I think there are only two kinds of religions in the world. There's either the religion of God or the religion of man, and all man-made religion is autosoteric, mm. meaning it is it, it espouses self-salvation. Um, it is man's attempt to save himself. It is man's, uh, you know, his his folly, his delusion that he's under, that he has what it takes to get to God. Right. Every every sinner, as it were, is trying to build their own little tower of Babel, and they're all trying to ascend upward on their own, and they can't. And God will always confuse and scatter, and He will always destroy man-made attempts to reach heaven. Yeah. And uh, that's why you're, you're spot on. It is only through the Christian faith that that God comes down to us. That God does all the work that He, obviously, He did all that work in His Son Christ. Yeah, and, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why it is so important that imputation be something we understand when we evangelize. Because uh, yeah. if, if we don't, I think there's a real danger that we can leave somebody thinking that they, you know, they, they believe in the gospel now, when in fact all the, all they all they think is, well, now I've got to do all these good things, and, and if I do these good things, and if I'm obedient and all these things, well, then I'll end up being saved. When in reality, they haven't really changed. They're still they're still trying to do it all on their own. And uh, I, I think this. Well, that's right. That's right, and you bring up a good point there. In that, it shows it shows us just by your your own statements that you know, as evangelists, those that are, those that are really involved in the evangelistic enterprise, if you would, we we need to be more educated as Christians. We need to be more uh, careful with the gospel that we preach, and that means that we need to understand it better. Yeah. So Christians need to do their homework. They need to they they need to understand the doctrines that they preach. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole reason I started this podcast. Uh, but well, let's move on to another topic, another con uh, concept, and that's the doctrine of glorification. Why do you think that glorification has an important impact on evangelism? I think it has a significant impact on evangelism for several reasons. I think a lot of times we know this, but we just they're kind of understood, but 
they kind of go unsaid, and so maybe we don't exploit every element that's there for us. But I, I just remember, um, as a young man becoming a Christian, that um, very early on, it really dawned on me that for the first time in my life, I had a purpose, mm-hmm. and that my life was going somewhere, and that I was created for something. So glorification, obviously, for the believer means that our sanctification is going to be complete one day. Our sanctification will will reach its end. Yeah. It, it will be consummated, as it were. But it's also good to show the unbeliever, hey, without without justification and without salvation, you don't know what your life is about. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why you're created. Therefore, you don't know why you're here. You don't know what your purpose is. Glorification gives us an answer for that. It also gives us an answer for the problem of, of evil and the problem of sin. Just the fact that one day God is going to rid the world of sin and evil. And so it does impact quite quite a few things. Yeah. If I might add an element to that, uh, you know, sure. even Christians, uh, definitely non-believers, but but even many Christians have this concept of eternity as being sort of floating around in disembodied spirits, you know, and and and, it, and that can seem really sure. un- unappealing uh, to those of us who are so accustomed to uh, what, at least in some senses, is an enjoyable physical life in, in a physical body. But when you realize uh, the, the the resurrection of the dead and the glorification of the physical body, and you realize that we are going to have physical bodies for eternity that are free of the disease and pain and suffering and sadness yes. that we suffer now. I think that adds a huge element to the uh, to the you know the attractiveness of of what it is that we are um, what we inherit when we're if if we are put into Christ. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's. I think it's extremely relevant, and it's not really the point of my book. It was, you know, wasn't sure. something that I focused on wholeheartedly. But you bring up a good point in that the world that we live in is infatuated with spiritual things. Mm-hmm. They really are. They're infatuated with the afterlife. They want to. They want. They they like to talk about, or they like to believe in their own minds what it will be like. Uh, when they die, they, they, they like to imagine a heaven that they've kind of made up in their mind <laughs> that really exists. Mm. Um, I had a lady recently tell me that, uh, you know, that, that she just, above everything, she just believes that, you know, she has a guardian, a guardian angel that watches over her and keeps her safe and one day will take her to heaven. And so there are a lot of people out there walking around with several misconceptions of what the afterlife is and what those sorts of categories are about. Perfect opportunity for Christians to come in with the biblical worldview and the, and the biblical teaching on the afterlife and to, and to sort of shatter their paradigms and to show them, look, this is, this is actually what's going to take place. This is what heaven is about. We're not going to be sitting on clouds with <laughs> hearts like little cupids. You know, we have a robust and comprehensive answer for those kinds of questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I don't have you for the hours that we could otherwise been talking about your book. But before we begin to draw, before we begin to draw to a close, since we've really only talked about some of the theology you address in the first two chapters of the book, uh, I know this is going to be kind of a tall order. But could you summarize for us what the remaining chapters of Convert uh, address and, and how they point out the importance of theology and evangelism? Well, sure. You know, I have uh, once you get beyond Adam and Christ. Um, you, you, you come to a chapter 
in the books where I talk about the new birth and the necessity to be born again. And so I talk about the nature of the new birth. And of course, uh, in the book, I suggest that the new birth is something that God does. Uh, he doesn't do it with our help. Uh, the new birth is a supernatural, uh, divine initiative that God does by himself, by his spirit, as he awakens uh, the, the dead, as it mm. were. And so I have a whole chapter talking about the, the nature and the importance of the new birth, and I begin to talk a little bit about what, what it looks like to go from Adam to Christ and what our lives kind of look like. And so I talk about the believer and how he has entered a process of renewing his mind. He takes upon a totally new disposition in life, a new worldview, the worldview that we've been talking about here. And, and then I get into the, his mission and purpose in Christ and what he is to do and what life in Christ is supposed to look like. I also have a chapter uh, where I talk about uh, the Apostle Paul, who was a great example to us of a theologian evangelist, or a mm. theological evangelist, how I put it in the book, uh, of a man who thought as hard as he labored, and how we desperately need his balance uh, in our lives to be uh, not just academicians, and not just uh, zealous for uh, uh, for ministry of any kind, without having any concern, even as we've already talked about, about the quality of the message that we're preaching. Hmm. So those things need to be held in, in a really tight tension there, and there needs to be a proper biblical balance there. And then, finally, I, I, I talk about the necessity to uh, to relate to the world in a biblical way, and how are we supposed to live in this world? Now that we've gone from Adam to Christ, now that we've been taken out of the world, in a sense, and put into Christ, what what, are, what is our relationship to the world now? And then I deal with the subject of the church because that is our new family, that is our home, that is our that is the that is our embassy, if you would. And so I talk about the the absolute importance for the believer and for the evangelist to be grounded and rooted in the local church, so that no lone ranger Christian uh, type of Christianity is taught in Scripture. And in my last chapter of the book, I talk about the Great Commission. I just kind of give an ex explanation of the way I see the Great Commission and how it relates to our lives and how we can implement it and uh, who and, and who, who does what and, and how does every aspect of the Great Commission affect various believers. There's a, you know, there's a soccer mom with, uh, <laughs> with four kids, you know, uh, you know, raising her kids at home. Does she have the same obligation? as the missionary in the church or the evangelist of the church. And so I just talk about the application of the Great Commission to our lives. And that's pretty much the sum of the book. And, and, and uh, again, it's just written the attempt to get the evangelistic community thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely found it very interesting. I, I took, I highlighted dozens of <laughs> paragraphs in my Kindle. So I, I hope people will uh, will check it out, and we'll talk in just a moment about where they can go to get their hands on it. But uh, but in wrapping up, I, I enjoy giving my guests an opportunity to leave me and my listeners with a parting message of sorts, something which, if everything else that we talked about were forgotten, um, this would stick with us after we finish listening to the interview. What would you most like us to take away from our discussion today about the theology of evangelism? <laughs> Well, I, I think above everything is kind of what I said there towards the end, is I just think it's time uh, for there to be more of a merger between uh, theology and and zeal 
theology mm-hmm. and evangelism. I just think that uh, for too long, uh, you know, these two disciplines have been sort of set at odds with one another, and I just think it's time for more, and I, th- and I see incredible, incredible signs that this is happening in the Church now, where evangelists are becoming very theologically astute, and they're becoming more theologically self-aware, and, it, and they're becoming more concerned for precision when it comes to articulating the gospel message. And I just think if we want to be the best ambassadors of Christ and of the gospel that we can be, we need to have the best message, and we need to have it down, and, and we need to understand what, what we're talking about when we talk to people about uh, the gospel, what, what we, when we speak about salvation, what is that what are we really talking about, and what are we saying, and, and can we really, can, can the evangelists in your church, can they articulate the doctrine of justification? Can they articulate the doctrine of glorification? Can they articulate what is imputation, these things we've talked about? I think that's just all important, you know? There's nothing better than to be in an evangelistic situation with a brother or a sister who knows what the Bible teaches, yeah. and so it's just a, it's just you know a real, uh, it's just a real call for discernment, and a call uh, to be equipped with with, uh, with with a better understanding of the message that we preach. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's definitely no doubt that God can use an inaccurate, flawed message of the gospel to yeah. uh, to regenerate hearts, but. I personally tend to think that he's more—he's going to bless uh, gospel, you know, evangelism where the gospel is presented more accurately than not. So, uh, well, where yeah. can listeners go to find Converts Home on the web to learn more about you and the book, uh, to read its many endorsements, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, it's real convenient. It's uh, the website that they can go and find everything out about the book is convertthebook.com. And uh, we were excited that that domain was was available, <laughs> and it wasn't taken. But uh, it's real simple: convertthebook.com. They can go there and get the book there, and find out how to get it, and and uh, read different uh, things about the book, and uh, different things about myself and our church, and and things like that. And get all the information there: convertthebook.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Pastor Ramos. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, and God bless you. You too. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Emilio Ramos. Do check out convertthebook.com, or sorry, convertthebook.com. And join me for the next episode of the The Apologetics Podcast for an interview with Dr. Philip Payne. Until then.